Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Cause you had a bad day, you're taking one down. You sing a sad song just to turn it around. You say you don't know, you tell me don't lie. You work at a smile and you go for a ride. You had a bad day, the camera don't lie. You're coming back down and you really don't mind. You had a bad day. Oh, you had a bad day. Yo. What's up, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. We didn't have a bad day necessarily today, but we've had bad days in the past because <laughs> sometimes people play commanders that are the worst commanders to play against. Just the worst. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. Yes. You know them. Those legendary creatures that, you know, as soon as they flip them over, like, this is what I'm playing this game. Everyone's uh, like, ah, uh, this is going to suck. And every, you're kind of like looking at, you're like, well, this is my fun jank deck. Yeah. Maybe I should. But I just shuffled and I drew my... I guess uh, we're doing this. I guess we are. Well, look, we're going to be talking about a lot of worst commanders today. Not necessarily worst in power level. And you might be a mean player, or you might be someone that wants to get back at those mean players. There you go. And so if you want to get some cards to help you do that, make sure you head on over to cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. That's our affiliate link. That's what you type into your browser if you want to support this show, support your playgroup, support your deck in defeating these monsters. And of course, cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. That directly does help us make the content that you love every single day for all your singles, sealed products, and more. Check that out. All you have to do is type the link in and you're good to go. And when you do get these cards, these cards you're ordering right now, you know, you don't have to buy the worst commanders no. uh, that we're about to list. You might be pre-ordering Aquarius stuff, Maybe. commander product right around the corner. You might still be buying Theros stuff or anything at all. You really do want to keep all that stuff safe because our cards are valuable. Mm -hmm. We want them to look good. If you're like Jimmy, you bling out all your decks. And the <laughs> best way to keep all that stuff safe is by using products from Ultra Pro. They really do make the best sleeves in the business. They're going to make sure that your cards stay in pristine condition. They also make awesome playmats. Yep. You always want to play on a playmat if you can just to keep the cards from getting dirty, scuffed up, things like that. They make amazing deck boxes. We always talk about things like the Satin Towers, which are just hard and comp compact and like yeah. your cards are very very safe in those and that's one of the things i'm looking for in those types of products i want my stuff to feel safe and ultra pro makes the best stuff to protect your stuff not to mention the playmat is great at organizing your play space yeah, so that you true. keep everything in one area so that you can just see how badly you're losing to these worst commanders okay and the last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone our patrons are awesome we talk to them every day on discord answering questions and the community there has been growing and growing and growing and it's tons of awesome people so make sure you check out the patreon and we shout out one lucky patron every single day and this episode is that this episode is dedicated, dedicated to, to gwen wolf gwen oh. you definitely rock <laughs> hey there little red riding hood all right oh, two songs one show whoa <laughs> um, down. before we get into the main topic here we want to give a quick shout out to the edh rec cast which is a podcast from the people who make the website edh rec which is the best website for it's straight up the best website yeah. for deck building for the commander format. I use it at least two, three times a day. Yeah, every, every day. single day for <laughs> sure we use it. And they have a podcast. Joey, Matt, and Dana are the hosts. And we have recently taken over the post-production side for their podcast. So if you go over and check them out, it's really easy to find on YouTube. Just type in EDH Cast or on any of your podcast apps. You're going to see that they've gotten a recent makeover. We're... It, their show looks really, really good. That uh, intro sequence. Ooh, with yeah. the things rising to become the logo. Ooh. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah, so it's been fun to work on their show. They do really awesome content. We definitely would not have agreed to do this if we didn't think that their show was great. And I learn something all the time from their show. So EDH Redcast, go check them out, see their new makeover, and give them a sub. Uh, yeah. I think they definitely deserve it. Let them know we sent you. Okay. okay. Worst commanders to play against. Uh, we uh, emailed everyone at the office and asked everyone, hey, what do you think are the worst commanders to play against? And keep in mind, we're not saying worst commanders as in least powerful. Most powerful. Or, yeah. yeah, most powerful or worst as in they're bad. We're saying worst as in it just is not necessarily going to be a great time for you across the table because you are fighting against the odds because they're so powerful or so whatever it is, oppressive, that's tough. Yeah, I think most people didn't gravitate towards the most powerful CEDH decks, right? Like com somebody comboing you out on turn three, 
listen, that's not the worst experience you're going to have in Commander. Because the game's over, you shuffle up, you play again. So this is not going to be a list of like the top CEDH decks. Some, obviously some will make it. It's mostly those decks that's just like, uh, this is going to be a slog or this is going to suck or yep. a lot of other reasons that don't necessarily exactly correlate with how powerful the deck is. I mean, a lot of these decks obviously can be and are quite powerful, yeah. but they're, I don't think, I don't want people to conflate those terms. They're not synonymous. Powerful and worst there's a difference there yeah worst is also i think when you hear the word you're like oh they're going to be dissing on commanders or insulting them no 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 we're here to almost glorify how were how just just how worst they are i mean i'm not gonna lie there are some of these that i do not like playing against that much like no one thing i'd say is like yeah once a night one of these is fine. Yeah. But if it was like every game, I'd be like, okay, this is this is not super fun. A lot but of times, worst also is synonymous with type of deck, and yeah. we'll get into that as well as we go, get deeper into the discussion. Okay, these are in no particular order. We're not listing them. There's 10 total, because that's a nice round number, but we're not listing them like the, the first one we talk about is the worst, and the last one is the 10th worst. The least worstest. Yeah. They're all bad. Okay. <laughs> all right, number one, it does happen to be a CEDH deck, though. Yes. It is Urza, Lord High Artificer, one of our past preview cards. It's two blue blue for a 1-4 human artificer, legendary, of course. When Urza enters the battlefield, you create a 0-0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. So it's always a 1-1. Yep. Uh, It's usually much bigger because you have more artifacts out. It also says tap an untapped artifact you control to add blue to your mana pool. What? And that's it. Doesn't give the artifact the ability to tap. That's like a that's like a zombie. It 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 taps it as a downside. So you can tap the construct the turn that Urza comes into play yeah. for the blue. Not to mention like any other low casting cost artifacts that you already may have put out on the battlefield. And then also because it's not enough, Urza has an activated <laughs> ability. You pay five colon. So as many times as you have five generic mana, you can do this. Shuffle your library, then exile the top card. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. So it has card draw and ramp on it. It turns all your artifacts into mana rocks. And also, it provides you with an outlet to spend all that mana by revealing cards off the top of your deck and then allowing you to cast them for free, quote-unquote. Yeah. Or is just the entire package? And you know what? I think all that stuff that we just read... Very powerful. Harkens to Thrasios and things like that. But that's not actually the reason that Urza is one of the worst commanders to play against. Yeah, there is just a lot that happens with mono blue decks that often lead to a experience that people don't necessarily love. So a lot of mono blue decks can be built around just full control. And you have all of the tutors in the world in blue to find those control elements. So Urza can also play in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I think there's one card. And maybe if this card didn't exist, Urza would be like... 70% as annoying as it is. And it's Winter Orb. Yeah. So Winter Orb... <laughs> yeah, Winter Orb is an artifact that only allows players to untap one land each turn. The thing if is... It's te- yeah. Yeah, the thing is, and I think a lot of people don't know this because different versions of the card don't have this text, but it's it got errated or it got clarified. Adjusted, yeah. Yeah, in that if that effect only happens if Winter Orb is untapped. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, if you can tap Winter Orb somehow on the end step before your turn, then it, on your turn, you're the owner of the Winter Orb. During your untap step, it's tapped. So you it doesn't have an effect. So you can untap all your stuff. Thing is, Urza gives you the ability to tap the Winter Orb for mana. So that one card makes it super oppressive because nobody else untaps except for the urza player yeah they only get one land and you have full control over that land and so your dreams of getting rid of this card or doing anything on your turn it's sort of like uh when you tap mana out with a vorinclex out yeah well that's not untapping anytime soon but in the winter orb case you as the player that has the winter orb gets full control of your mana and everyone else is locked down except for one land each turn so it just really creates an almost stasis like lock immediately depending mm-hmm. on uh, and how soon you get urza out and you can power urza out because you're a deck that's built around artifacts already and urza like you said is in blue blue has a lot of permission elements that's what we call counter spells and things yeah. like that so what happens is you save up enough mana over a couple of turns with the winter orb out if they haven't won already you're finally like okay now i can try and kill that thing and they go counter that yeah because they have all their mana every turn so they're just like and yeah. they have extra mana. It's not unlikely for someone to play Urza and have activations ready yep. for the five mana. Um, so those things combined together make Urza a worst commander to play against. It's one of those times where, I mean, very rarely does someone play a commander and you just go, oh, that might be it. 
Yeah. That might be the last time I'm ever able to interact with that card or that board. Or, or I anything. cast anything for the rest of this game, not yeah. just because I'm going to die. It's still going to go on four turns, but I just won't have any mana. I think a lot of people out there maybe are saying, well, it's one card, Josh. It's it's just an artifact in the deck. But the problem is that blue, mono blue specifically, has all the tutors to find artifacts. Mm-hmm. There's the War of Inventions, and there's the uh, the Fabricates, and there's, there's a whole bunch of them, and the Reshapes, and all kinds of different ways to get an artifact into play. So Urza deck is going to be able to get winner or most, most games. I mean, never mind. They often are built with the combos of like infinite mana, basalt, monolith, rings of bright hearth, right? Those types of things. I don't mind those so much because they generally just win. Yeah, they'll get there the turn that it happens, so you don't need to sit and just sort of drearily untap, untap one land, go. Pass. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna swing at you with everything, but you just block with your little six six artifact creature tokens now. <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, okay. Urza. Well, we don't need to talk about Urza anymore. It is one the of the worst, worst commanders to play against. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, next up is a newer card and one that was featured on game nights actually very recently it's corvold fey cursed king and i find that these worst cards often have a lot of text on them josh <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that's a, a clue as to what might be a worse card is if it's just covered in text death by options all right it's two black a red and a green for a 4-4 legendary creature dragon noble with flying whenever corvold enters the battlefield or attacks sacrifice another permanent and whenever you sacrifice a permanent put a plus one plus one counter on corvold and draw a card so it it has this value engine thing built in. I I think the problem with... Because again, well, I think more so than Urza. Urza you look at, and in our preview card episode, we were like, this thing's busted. Yeah, yeah, straight busted. Corvald just is like, this thing's good. And I think Corvald, while you can build it very powerful, I'm not sure if it's a full-on 10 out of 10 CEDH deck for Corvald. But Five it, mana for the commander. Might you can definitely build it up to like a nine or something. It's, I've seen very good ones, but... Again, the reason that Corvald is one of the worst commanders to play against is not the power level. It's just the play pattern. Yeah. Corvald decks just... I mean, and I, I'm not blaming the players because Corvald encourages you to build a deck in a specific way. And usually your turn goes like this. Okay, I cast this. I sacrifice that. That causes me to draw a card. And then I sacrifice this. That, that causes me to draw a card. And then I cast this, which brings back this. this and then and that. sacrifice that. And I draw a card for that. And then and then, and then it's also like, oh, and everyone take one damage. Yeah. I gain one. Okay, everyone adjust your life totals. All right, next up I'm going to do is it. like, oh my goodness. And and it, it just tends to happen that Corval decks cause the three players to watch the one player for a long time most turns. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, we kind of did that in the Game Nights episode yeah. with Reed because yeah. he's obviously going to pilot this deck masterfully and he's going to make the most of each turn. <laughs> and it was a Brawl deck, so he didn't even have the option of all the cards we do in Commander, right. which can just make these loops. And I think it's also confounded by the fact that a lot of that stuff is not quickly advancing that player towards a win. It's a lot of wheel spinning. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like draw a card, sack this, do this, little bit of damage, maybe if you're lucky. I almost prefer it when they have a Blood Artist or something out because at least it's then like, okay, we're dying while this is happening. <laughs> Things are going on. Thank Some, you. Yeah, sometimes all that's happening and nobody's taking any damage and you're just like, yeah, you're cycling through your deck looking for pieces or whatever. And and it takes a long time. There's no point at which I'm like, draw 27 cards. It's like, draw one at a time. Yeah. Look at it. Play this. Do that. Each draw time, another one. And you have like six triggers to keep track of. It's the reason that people complain about cards like Sensei's Divining Top because yeah. it's like this is going to take forever. Uh, Corvald also um, has cards like Gitrog Monster in there yeah. and then Gitrog, if you've ever played against a Gitrog Monster deck, it's you just similar. know what happens. It's yeah. like, and this, and then this, and this, and it's like, all right, cool. And then I discard that, which caused me to do this, Have which fun caused me to do that. Which... Dancing on your own board right now. Yeah, and I, again, I don't blame the players playing these things because it is fun, but it just naturally turns into a game of Solitaire a little bit and it's that's just the way the card encourages you to design uh, your deck, yeah. those decks it's very hard to get out of we played um a, g- a game like last week we had a game night and uh lady danger here she had built like a new corval deck mm-hmm. and her deck is like she just brewed it up and used the cards we had around the office and put it together and so it wasn't like the highest power level corval deck she had this whole list of cards like she wished she had that she was going to get mm-hmm. and build the deck and her deck wasn't full on like this, but you could even see it then that it was like, <laughs> I thought it was fine. Like it wasn't, it wasn't getting to the point where we were like waiting 15 minutes, but I was like, even the, like, I just threw it together in a couple of hours. Corval deck was starting to do this thing. And you can imagine if you spend two days brewing full on tuned it. Yeah. One, yeah. I mean, sometimes having so many options too, you get into these positions where someone goes like, well, I need to figure out how to order this before I even start my oh, turn. That's a really good point. And then the they're just sitting there looking at it and you're like, okay. And then once they start, they're like, wait, should I do this now? Oh, I drew this card. Then it changes my sequence. Like, oh, my goodness that's it's actually, begun <laughs> that's a really good point because a lot of times it's not even how we said it like i do this i do that i drive a car to do this a lot of times it's i do this okay hold on um 
Uh, well, this has Life from the Loam. Yeah, graveyard. So I, actually, so I'm, I want so I'm going to play this first, and then I'll draw a card, and then, oh, that changes what I was going to do. Yeah. And so you know what? Next time, I'm going to dredge instead. <laughs> so I'm gonna do, it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so there's just a lot of decision points and a lot of thinking. So, yeah. All right, Corvald. Maybe Corvald Get players are just smarter than the rest of us. So. <laughs> All right, the next one you have to read, Jimmy, because... I do, I do. It's a deck I've always promised to build, and after playing it on Game Nest, I've decided to probably not build it. It's send, <laughs> send Triplets. Two white, blue, black for a 3-3. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent. This turn, that player can't play spells or activate abilities and plays with his or her hand revealed. You can play cards from that player's hand this turn. Wow. Um, this is a card when you read it, I don't think it really reads as something that's going to be that bad at all. But then when you play against it one time, you're like, oh, I hate playing against that. Yeah. That sucks. Please don't do that to me ever again. Yeah. I feel bad for DJ because it's happened a couple of times now where I've just, oh, I mean, that whole game was just me being like, hey, playing DJ's DJ, deck. I like your deck. It's <laughs> It's got a lot of powerful things in it. Yeah, Send Triplets, we talked about this on the show too, but it does one thing very well, which is it not just like control, it kind of mind slavers their turn a little bit basically, little but bit. it's not even their turn. They can't do things in response and you're, you're drawing their entire hand for that turn with this commander and you're playing their hand. So it's card advantage for you and disadvantage for not every player, but just one player. And that's what makes it the worst to play against. Yeah, I think that's the part that is hard to understand when you read the card because it seems fine is the fact that you play a card out of their hand. Not only did you get a card, they lost a card. And so whoever you choose, you take the gas out of their hand, and now they're not playing magic the same as everybody else. You, you yeah. kind of like... <laughs> Just one play. Like, imagine if this card said, look at the top four cards of target player's library, and you could do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, that's not cards out of their hand. You're playing their deck. It would have sort of a similar effect that in spirit, I think this is what they wanted. Yeah. But that player can still formulate plans with what they've got in their hand and try to counter you. But like, if that player has a removal spell to get rid of send triplets, you just cast the removal spell and now, and you and everybody's seen their hand and knows everything they've got. Yeah. And it just ends up being like very unfun for the player that gets chosen. And then you choose a different player. So it's, unf so then it's just like everyone. You're, you're, <sighs> when the turn rolls around, you're like, man, I really hope I just, it's one of those times you're like, I, I want to have like two cards in my hand so they don't choose me. Choose the guy with the biggest with deck, the biggest, hand, yeah. the biggest hand, the biggest ability to draw cards. Choose them, please. I think also what happens with Sand Triplets deck it, a lot is that nobody wants that to happen to them. And so Sand Triplets just gets removed every time. Right. Which then creates a game that's not fun for the player playing Sand Triplets because you have two options, two paths that this game is going to go down. Either Sand Triplets is going to happen and you're going to cause another player to just not have any fun for a game. Or Sand Triplets is going to get removed every time you cast it, in which case the Send Triplets player is just not going to have fun for that whole game. And so I don't think there's really like a real fun way to be playing Send Triplets. It's not one of those ones where you're like, hey, I built a five-color uh, Kenrith deck. Yeah. But this one's all about group hug. And you're like, I believe that. You can't play like, I play the Send Triplets deck. It's a nice deck. It's like, yeah. that's... It's it soldier just, tribal, really? It's impossible. Yeah. Look at your commander. <laughs> you cast it. You don't need anything else. Yeah. It's going to be not fun <laughs> for somebody. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I don't want to talk about these next few ones. Okay, so the next uh, worst commanders to play against are sort of a grouping. So there's a few cards. I'm not maybe not going to read all of them, but you'll get the you'll get the idea. So the first one's Gaddock Teague. Ugh. The second one is Hikori Dust Drinker. Ugh. Grand Arbiter Augustine IV is the third one. Derevi, Imperial Tactician. There's more, I think, on the list that we could go down. Gaddock Teague makes it difficult to cast non-creature spells impossible to cast large non-creature spells. Mm -hmm. Hakori Dust Drinker is sort of like Winter Orb. doesn't let lands untap. Um, Grand Arbiter makes spells cost more mana, so harder for your opponents to cast spells. And then Derevi doesn't actually inherently say anything about stacks, but tends to be built in a stacks-type deck, which is a decks that have things like Winter Orb, Static Orb, make it t difficult for your opponents or maybe all players to untap and have all their resources available because of the way Derevi uh, works allows you to untap things in another way. And you have access to three colors. All these other ones are two colors or one. So I think that's actually a really important part of Derevi too. So stacks commanders, these are the ones that as, as soon as they flip them over, I'm going to play this, you know, okay, so this game, it will be difficult for me to play my cards and cast my spells. Because you don't build a deck with the stacks commander in mind. You build a deck with your commander in mind. So when Gaddock T comes out and all of a sudden you are a big red deck with X spells, sorry, your game is over. Even your best removal spells can't get rid of this yeah. little 2-2. Gaddictees, no board wipes work. Yeah. I use them in a lot of decks in the 99 as like a board wipe stopper. So once your board gets big enough, play Gaddictee and you're like, okay, now 
only Toxic Delusion, a couple other ones yeah. get out from under that. So you're going to have to singly remove things. Gantic has at times too just been the single thing that stops me from winning the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Void Winterer has a very similar effect too. Yeah, I, I would say that these are, for me personally, the least favorite cards to play against because, you know, send triplets, you might dodge it. You might right. get a, be able to remove it. But a hate bear deck like Gantic is running multiple versions that of cards that all do the same thing. Yeah, stacks is very tough and draws games out. That's naturally what they're trying to do. Slow everything down, make it so that instead of casting your spell every turn, you have to save up your mana because you can't untap. Yeah. So you're casting one spell every three turns and think about how much longer that makes games. Uh, yeah, it's a game length thing, not just a, yeah. oh, darn, I wish I could play more, but this game's going to take longer and you're going to play less. Yeah. That's maybe the two worst things you could tell a commander player. Hey, you want to play a commander game where you're going to play for twice as long, but do you have as I many mean, things? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't actually. No, that, wait, why would you even ask? that question uh coincidentally craig by the way has built like three of the four of these decks that we've already talked about so i mean to be show. fair craig has built like a lot of commander decks in his time so yeah. at some point he's had most commanders like he's tried them out when you've seen it all you come to the point where you're like i need to beat it all as well and so you make a grand arbiter deck and realize that it's just not fun to play against all right the next one is we're gonna name a specific deck it's also kind of a class of decks too though yeah and it's also in a similar color pairing that's uh, the same color pairing as another one of our decks. It's Lord Windgrace, a boxed commander. Yeah. Didn't expect the pre-con commander would make this list, but uh, this one did. It's a Planeswalker. It's two, a black, red, and a green for a five loyalty Planeswalker. Is plus two is discard a card, then draw a card. If it's a land card, if a land card was discarded this way, draw an additional card. So it's plus two, draw two cards potentially. Minus three, return up to two target land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. And minus 11, destroy up to six target non-land permanents, then create six 2-2 green cat warrior creature tokens with forest walk. And of course, Lord Windgrace can be your commander. The ultimate is not part of this discussion. I've literally never seen I've someone never seen it either, yeah. ultimate Lord Windgrace. The first two abilities, though, have to do with... The, it's, it's now an archetype of deck, right? It's the lands in play, lands in your graveyard, that interaction, like playing that loop-de-loop -loop. yeah also lands generally the one thing that people cannot target in yeah. edh or don't want to i think that's actually the reason why this deck's annoying to play against so lord Windgrace is going to just fiddle around with putting lands in play in the graveyard and back and forth back and forth back similar to gitrog another yeah. card that we've mentioned earlier too and actually i think similar to corvald which is a lot of wheel spinning mm -hmm. for value but none of that feels like it's actually advancing much towards a win. So it's wheel spin, wheel spin, wheel spin. Everybody watch, everybody watch, everybody watch. Not a lot actually happened to people's life totals or anything. And then the other thing you said I think is also very true. It does feel like these types of decks, the Lord Windgraces, Get Rog, I'll put in that same. The decks that care about like getting a lot of lands into play or to and from the graveyard, they do feel like they're taking advantage of the social contract. Ah, uh, yeah. Because... You, the ways you would stop or combat these decks are cards that we kind of don't like to play. The Armageddons and the land destruction stuff are things that mess around with other people's lands. Mm -hmm. These are decks based around lands, and yet we're really... Those aren't tools in our toolbox that we're willing to pull out because... We'd it, rather have our single target removal be a path to exile, not a path to land. And people, <laughs> people get mad if you're going to Armageddon and things like that. And, all, and you don't know in any given game if you're going to be playing against one of these types of decks, so you don't want to build your deck with cards that like if you're not playing against that type of deck are looked at as mean or you're a jerk or whatever yeah generally we would recommend never build a deck to specifically beat other kinds of decks unless it's a very meta choice like i'm not going to be putting armageddon in my decks because i know i'll be playing a get rog or whatever deck and even then those cards are not that great against them because yeah, they have true. recursion yeah lands are just one of the things that you don't cast them you play them they're cards that are really hard to interact with in general because they don't use the stack when they enter the battlefield so it's very very hard i think just to deal with land-based decks because the value is so much i don't know not stronger necessarily but it's more everlasting than your other kind of value engine it's just a permanent type we don't mess with in casual magic i think probably the best way to win is to get the most lands into play mm -hmm. because you're just going to have more you can do than everybody else and while yes getting a bunch of mana rocks will effectively you know quote unquote do the same thing it doesn't actually because people will play vandal blasts and they will remove all the artifacts but yeah. they rarely will just equalize the amount of lands on the table and so it's just not punished something i think players may not understand is that a lot of vdh decks run like 37 to 38 lands right 
Lord Windgrace, get Rog monster type decks run 45, 45 50, yeah. and you might say like, oh, that makes the deck weaker. They have less cards to do cool things with. It's like, that's the opposite. <laughs> the fact that they're running more lands is something you should be afraid of because they're using these lands to gain an insane amount of value, more than the cards that they could have added in those slots. Yeah, really good points. All right, we've got five more of the worst commanders to play against coming up, but before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, we are five commanders down and we have five to go. Uh, and this next one is a, I have a Child of Alara deck. I, I just spoiled it. It's Child of Alara. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Child of Alara deck, but it's taken apart now. Uh, so we both tried this. We both tried it. I and did we it. realized how mean it was. Yeah, it's mean because it's just, it's a, the text, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> okay, yeah, let me read it. It costs Wooburg, so one of each color mana, white, blue, black, red, and green for a 6-6 six, six legendary creature avatar has trample. But it says when Child of Alara dies, destroy all non-land permanents, they can't be regenerated. Now, we should note here that it can't when when it says when something dies, it, you have to put it in the graveyard. You can't put it back in the command zone. Mm -hmm. This is a five color deck. Usually not a big problem for it if it's built around Child of Alara. What you usually run into is they are going to wipe all non land permanents off the board every single turn or multiple times in a turn. They're going to just endlessly recur to, this yeah. thing. Yeah, and that'll be part of their game plan. You have five colors. You yep. ever have black. You have many ways to get Child of Lara back on the battlefield. Just endless recursion is not hard for, yeah, black, green, white even. It's also one of those things where it's like, hey, we really have to board wipe right now. It's like, yeah, but that guy's Child of Lara out. I don't want to do that when, when, when that's out because yeah. then everything blows up. It's like, well, we have to get rid of Megan. She's being a huge issue with all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but, but I use, lose all my rocks, all my enchantments. Yeah. Like, and everyone loses everything. Not to mention, like, let's look at the art for a second. No hate to the artist and the art direction, but it's a baby screaming out. It's like a, a Tron giant, baby? I don't know. It's like a giant celestial baby, like, breaching the ground. Is it giant? We don't have anything for scale. It could be teeny tiny. Yeah, but how is it blowing up all the non-land permanents? Either no, that's way. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, you had a child of a large deck. I, I thought your design was actually really great. Yeah, I had a Marchesa it was, it was a Child of Alara deck, uh, but Marchesa was like the hidden commander in it. And the idea was to get to a situation where you get a plus one, plus one counter on Child of Alara and you sack it, but all your other stuff has plus one, plus one counters. So Marchesa brings everything back. And if you have like graft creatures and other things, you can then, when they come back onto play, redistribute the plus one, plus one counters and get into that situation I was talking about where anytime you want to wipe the board and it all comes back for you, but not for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works sometimes, not all the time. Um, but I realized when it worked... That wasn't very fun. <laughs> yeah, the game was just, everyone's just like, cool. All right, what's next? Yeah, I'll play stuff, I guess, but then it's just going to blow up, so. Yeah, the first time it happens, they're like, wait, why is Chalavar back on the battlefield? Yeah. It's like, oh, that Marchesa's here, and then the green helped me tutor out everything and also get the plus one, plus one counters and everything. That's why Marchesa doesn't have green, because yeah. it would be broken, but yeah. now she does. Because so, it's in a five-color deck. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, and everyone's just like, oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. So that's how this is going to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, should we wait until he blows it up five more times or should we just concede now? Yeah, it's like but the thing is, you're not, that win is not like fast. So there, yeah. you kind of feel like, ah, maybe we can get out from it. Let's see what we draw. Like you kind of have to keep going, which sucks because the chances of you actually coming out from under are very small. Well, it's also like, do you have a chance to play Bajuka Bog? Nope. 
Okay. The way it no, works yep. is it's end steps, and it's it's your, yeah. You don't even have that much chance to like exile their graveyard or get it out. Um, the and and it's even bad for you when someone gets rid of Marchesa or exiles her. It's like oh, that's my game plan. Yeah, that's true. My whole deck was kind of built around this thing, and so yeah, Chalalar, uh, very powerful commander. Um, but if you had to choose a random five color commander, just go with Kenrith, please. Well, I don't know. Kenrith is so powerful too. It's a tier one deck, so I would go with. But like, at least you can argue that Kenrith like go all with Chromat. Chromat, yeah. No Chromat's one's definitely. scared of Chromat. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Yeah, it's true. I would be. I'm still not scared of Chromat. Every time yeah. you play a Chromat deck and you play Chromat, I'm like, Josh is in the a bad position. Yeah, this is happening. Yeah, to cast that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next, the next one is actually two. This is again a grouping of commanders. It's Talran Sky Summoner and Mizix of the Is Magnus. Uh, Talran is a Two blue blue for a two two, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you get a two two flying Drake. And Mizix is two a blue and a red for a two two. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost greater than the number of experience counters you have, you get an experience counter. And then instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast for each experience counter you have. So eventually, Mizix makes it so that your instants and sorceries are just like discounted by like twelve mana, and you can just. Kind of do whatever you want constantly. Draw 12 cards, dome you for 12, do this, do that. Yeah. Hey, it costs me almost nothing. I, I think the problem here is that these this grouping, and, and we could throw like Baral and a few others, I think, in the same category, which is permission-style decks. Yep. Decks that, regardless of what all their text says, like one makes tricks, the other one casts instants and sorceries. The, what they actually do is just counter every spell that everyone tries to cast. Yeah, or do something where they completely mess up someone else's plans by forking something six times, and yeah. then boom, oh, you accidentally just blew up half the board, including your own. Yeah. You, and the oh, yeah, Narset Reversal in both of these, yeah. and like fork it three times, and just, yeah. And back when experience counters came out, maybe you put a few cards in there to deal with them, but at this point, no one is running like, a, oh, yeah, I got to make sure my deck can deal with experience counters. And there's very few cards in the history of Magic that can even do it. Like Sun Cleanser was like the only one that came to mind for me. So experience counters are very hard to interact with. So that makes Mizzix annoying on a whole nother level. Yeah, that's why, that's why all of the experience counter commanders can be really tough to deal with, like Marin as well. It's just once they're locked and loaded, it feels almost like they have an insurmountable advantage because they just need to recast their commander once. And in Mizzix's case, you can move them, you can move them three or four times, or her three or four times, but by the time you recast it, you have 12 experience counters. Your spells are going to cost so cheap that you paid a little extra to cast Mizzix isn't a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. It just, it's not very fun to sit down and start the game and just know like I'm every for every three or four things I try to do maybe one gets through maybe yeah. one actually happens yeah that sucks yeah every card in your hand costs three cards in your hands and it is just also annoying even if they're not counting your stuff to every time you play something be like does it happen yeah and they're like yeah okay all right well this next thing does it happen and you just have to like that's just not <laughs> it's way worse than Ristic study which is like do you pay one at yeah. least that is sort of a switch that you flip in your head. Either you're going to pay or you're not. But each thing they have to then think about, like, what is that thing? What else you got on your board? What does everybody else have? Are you trying to bait out the counter spell? Like, it's exhausting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of these decks actually, uh, one of the main things that people, the reason that they're not great is that you do just have to spend more time and the player playing them, you either have to just target them explicitly and get them out of the game or you just have to let it happen. And yeah. that's not fun for anyone. All right, this next one is... Uh, <laughs> A, a, a favorite of mine because it's named after I feel like it's named after one of our, uh, our good friends Alex Kessler it's Kess Dissident Mage one blue black and a red for a 3-4 flying legendary creature human wizard during each of your turns you may cast an instant or a sorcery card from your graveyard if a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard exile it instead so Kess Storm specifically I think is a tough and, and just Storm decks Dax, yeah yeah I mean Kess is I think one of the more prevalent Storm commanders and Storm is very, very much similar to Corvald, Lord Windgrace, um, in that it's solid. It's a solitaire type strategy. When they start to do the Storm thing, you kind of everybody else is kind of just watching. Yeah, and the problem with Storm ultimately is that when they do cast the one spell that says Storm on it, you can't counter it because it replicates itself for every spell you've cast that turn. I mean, there's Flusterstorm. And That's like about Fluster it. Flusterswall or whatever. And yeah. yeah, there's a few that do it. But yes, you're right. Like, it's difficult. Time stop. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult to interact with Storm. But also, Storm is very complicated. Often, like John Finkel, maybe the greatest magic player of all time, and people like that will say that Storm is the hardest archetype to play because mm -hmm. your sequencing has to be perfect, and you're often, you have to know when to pull the trigger 
based on your probability of drawing cards during going the storming off that is going to continue it. And yeah. so you can whiff too. So you can't just concede when it starts to happen. A lot of times the, they're storming off, but it's only 85% that it'll happen. It's not 100. So you got to sit there and wait and let them go. And sometimes they mess it up because there's a lot of decision points, cast things slightly out of order, can screw the whole thing up. And, and if they don't get the thing, they go and go, well, uh, pass turn. You're like, after all that? Yeah. Well. <laughs> so, and they're wheeling too. So you're discarding your hand and redrawing. So there's lots of things that the storm deck does. It's almost like a child in a, like, have you ever seen like those videos of those kids in the playpens and the toys just start spilling out everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> Someone has to clean it up. It is what it feels like. And sometimes you're like, oh, did the random Lego just hit me in the head? Like what is happening? Ugh. Yeah. All right. The next card I think was the card that was on the most people's list mm-hmm. in house as the, one of the worst uh, commanders to play against and it's an oldie but a goodie this used yeah. to be like arguably the most powerful deck in the format like i'd yeah. say four or five years ago this was top tier deck back when the paris or the sorry the um partner commanders no no the partial paris oh partial oh, yeah, yeah yeah totally so it's narset enlightened master three blue red and white so six mana total for a three two human monk has first strike and hex proof hex proof is a big point of why this card is a pain to play against yeah uh, it says, whenever Narset, Narset attacks, exile the top four cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may cast non-creature cards exiled with Narset this turn without paying their mana costs. So cheating of mana costs, like we always say it, most powerful things you can do. Narset has hexproof. Very, very specific spells only will get to her. Board wipes and things like that. If you don't have those and she gets one swing in, you probably lose the game because extra combat steps and extra turn spells are what the deck's going to have a lot of. But they... I think the worst part about it, similar to Storm, mm-hmm. there's a possibility of whiffing. Sometimes they have brainstorm, scroll rack, scroll rack and, yeah, and 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 then they're in a much better position. But sometimes they don't, and it's like, okay, we're gonna do this. Oh, they got an extra turn spell. They're gonna swing again. We're gonna do this. Oh, they got an extra turn spell. We're, oh, we're gonna swing again. We're gonna do this. Oh, did they? Oh, there's an extra combat. Okay. Yeah, and it's like you got to sit there and watch it, and you literally just didn't draw a card that game because maybe they got a grim monolith or something out or a basalt monolith caster on turn four and you just didn't draw a card in the game that would have stopped this from happening because of the hexproof yeah i think people really don't like extra turn spells Mm -hmm. i've seen that in the comments i've seen that just in general play pattern that's one of the worst feel bads and that's the way that narset really works it's not like this is the turn i play it and i swing with it and then everything happens and that's it so I take another turn. I spin the wheel again. I do more deck manipulation. I'm really carefully placing spells on top in the specific, you know, making sure that these are there. And then there's just a lot of math that the narcissist has to do. Yeah, that's 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 the pose. If you can't see it, uh, you're listening to it. Josh is just, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I okay. don't dislike you. No. I think what you're doing is powerful, but I'm definitely not entertained. Well, it's like, okay. And then what? All right. Okay. Okay. So we're going to look at the top four. All right. Okay. Did you get? Yep. Okay. So we're okay, going to do that again. Hit. Yeah. It's right. just like, Where's ah! the win? <laughs> yeah. Okay, the win? expropriate. All right, everyone, you know what to vote for. <laughs> All right, they have two more turns after this, so just, you know. Okay, but okay. they can still whiff, so we got to watch it. Yeah, they it. can still whiff, yeah. Should we concede? Well, they could whiff. They All right. They could whiff, yeah. And someone's just saying they're being like, this Path to Exile is the worst card in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I can do about this. You know what is good against Narset decks, though, is, and even like Mizzix decks, is uh, Edict of X. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to get around it, but... Again, you're not packing that kind of card in every single deck, especially if you're not playing the colors that have that kind of thing. All right, we're, we're, we're to our last one. I was a little surprised. I didn't put this on my list, but a lot of people in-house here did. That's interesting because I would, you know, the reason I think Narset almost makes it off my list is because it's a six-cost commander. So right. it takes a lot for players to get there or they have to really build a rampy decks in there. And Locust God, which is our last card today, is also a six-cost commander. It's four, a blue, and a red for a legendary creature god. It's a 4-4 four, four with flying. Whenever you draw a card, create a 1-1 one, one blue and red insect creature token with flying and haste. And of course, the Locust God has the activated ability of two, a blue, and a red to draw a card, then discard a card. And like the other legendary gods in this cycle, whenever Locust God dies, return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. AKA, commander tax, not a thing with this commander. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I do think it is pretty annoying. And similar to Narset, it's just hard to get rid of it. Like, at least with like Mizzix or like Moldrotha and certain commanders, if everybody's on the same page, you just remove it the first couple of times and it really slows down the deck. Yeah. Locust God, not as much because they just put it back in their hand and then... You have to exile it pretty much. Yeah. Um... And and I think Locust God plays out in a very similar fashion every game, which is a lot of wheel effects. Mm-hmm. And 
if somebody wheels once or twice in a game, or the table does, it's not that bad because you get new cards, you get to see a new hand, blah, blah, blah. But it, when it's happening frequently all the time, it's not super fun because you can't formulate any plans. You play Teferi's Puzzle Box in this deck, right? Yep. That is one of the least fun cards to play against. Yeah, because you just can't plan ahead. And it's a strategy game, and what you want to do is be like, okay... I'm going to think about what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and what I'm going to play this, then that, or they may react in this way and I'll have this as backup. And you just can't do any of that stuff if you're just going to have a new hand every single turn. Not to mention the one ones have haste that the Locust God creates. And so it's very hard to attack into. Yep. And it's very easy to get attacked by. So you're getting pecked down constantly. You're losing your hand. Everything is just going badly for your opponents if the Locust God deck is doing what it wants to do. It's no surprise that Kyle Hill has a Locust God deck. <laughs> He has a Narset deck, too. Uh, I don't know which of the other ones on the list. You know what? If you have friends that play a lot of Commander, just count the ones that we talked today and see how many of them they've built in. You'll find out <laughs> if they're uh, that kind of player or not. You know what I mean? No, just kidding. <laughs> I do think the Locust God does have uh, a little bit of the same, like, makes games longer, uh, mm-hmm. but it's more hidden with Locust God. But I think when you wheel a lot, when there's a lot of wheel effects, people are forced to then rethink about what they're going to do. So right. one of the things that saves time in a game of Commander is that I pass a turn to Jimmy, and as he's going, I can start to think about what I'm going to do with the cards in my hands. Right, right. You know, if certain scenarios come up or when, like, oh, if it gets back to my turn and I still have this or this blah, 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 then I can do that. And if he plays something, I can do this. And you, you get your options ready so that you don't have to think when... You, there's no, like, actively watching me think time. Yeah. But if you wheel, well, okay, now I got to rethink you everything. Rethink. And there's seven new cards and, you know... I so. can't tell you, there have been a lot of times where you get seven new cards and you're like, hey, this is actually better. This yeah. is exciting. Okay, so I plan it out. Okay, they got that. Okay, this, this, and this. And it's like, wheel again. I'm like, okay, never mind. Let's just uh, do it again. It's actually kind of mentally exhausting. Yeah, there's actually a really big aspect of like, okay, I don't want to do what I just did again, which is waste my own time spending <laughs> all that mental energy for like, oh, they're just going to wheel another and time. And then you just do this again. You just kind of sit yeah. there and go, oh, It just okay. causes a natural sort of tre- checking out, which I'm not saying is right, but it's just hard to fight against. That's just human nature a little bit. Yeah, indeed. All right, well, speaking of what you said, before we wrap up here and go to, to the listeners, I had a question. How many of the commanders on our list have you had a deck built for at some point? Let me let me grab the paper back here so we can see the whole list. I know for sure that Josh and I both have built Mizzix of Is Magnus's deck. Yep. Which we never play anymore. <laughs> I played it once. And then afterwards, I was like, okay, that was enough. For a long time, my Isix deck was undefeated. Uh, it, it did eventually get eclipsed by like newer commanders. But yeah. I had played it like seven, eight times and never lost with it for a long time. Uh, I've also built a Child of Alara deck, although it was a Planeswalker deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have... I'm currently actually building a Narset deck, but that's a, a different type of uh, Narset. Oh, okay. So you only have, have ever built two right now. Two, seriously, Bowser. yeah. And then Saint Triplets, I had a list brewed. And then again, after the game that's all the episode, I You're decided like, nah, to I don't want to do that. hit the parachute button on that one. Yeah, I've had Mizzix, Child of Alara, uh, and I had a Derevi deck. I still have the Derevi deck. I never yeah. play it. It's really I, powerful. I pull it out against Kyle sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle is quickly becoming the taste checker. Well, you have uh, to, I have to have like two or three really powerful decks just around just for, when, general, for those yeah. nights when it's like, okay, he's going to be in the game. Well, no, DJ has that kind of yeah, that kind of thing going And too. we do it on purpose. We say, okay, last game of the night, let's pull out our really powerful decks, and th- and that's fine. I think, listen, I'm not, as always, we're not telling everyone how to play. I do think it's fun to play high-powered. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say we're cl- quite CEDH when we do that, but close to in those games. Uh, Aspiring I just don't, yeah. CEDH players. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want to do that every single game, so yeah. But So yeah. I've had three at some point out okay. of ten, which, you know, maybe Let's I'm... see how many Craig has. Craig definitely has a Narset deck. I think he has a Tauren... Oh, definitely has a Tauren deck. I think he has a Mizzix deck. He definitely has a Child of Lara deck. He definitely has a Gaddic Teague deck. He definitely has a Grand Arbiter deck. He Seven definitely triples. has a Send Triplets. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if he's built an Urza deck, too. He's got eight, at least. <laughs> Seven yeah. or eight. Uh, Craig has than... a lot of decks, so it's not like it's yeah. like a 90% of his decks. Yeah, And yeah. there's a, there's actually more than ten, because some of these groupings, like the stacks, there's four right, commanders right. there, and so... All right. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> to the listeners, <laughs> what do you out there think are the worst commanders to play against? Uh, are there any that we missed, or are there, are there any commanders we did talk about, but you disagree? You actually yeah. think they're fun to play There's against? There's a better fun. way to build it, or a yeah. way that you think is actually more fun. Please uh, let us know. Yeah, if you do find that, you know, hey, there's a fun way to build this commander, you know, I'm let us, let us know, and then maybe other people want to pick up that <laughs> card, and the best way to pick up cards is by going to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you want to buy any magic product, any singles, any pre-orders of maybe a Coria main set or commander product. Yeah. On the way. Anything at all. Any magic product at all. 
if you just use our affiliate link when you buy it, because you're going to buy that stuff anyway, you're simultaneously supporting Game Nights, our podcast, all of our content. We really appreciate everybody that, that does that. And not to mention, when you get to play those amazing cards, don't forget that the majority of the time you see those cards, they're upside down. They're in your deck, so make sure you put them in a sick sleeve. Ultra Pro, the other sponsor of the show, they will do the best at protecting your cards. They've been literally doing it for the longest in the industry. They are the benchmark, right? And you're going to want to go to someone that you can trust. So the next time you're out at your big box retailer or your LGS or at cardcamecom slash command zone, pick up some Ultra Pro products. I, of course, as always, highly recommend the Satin Tower deck boxes. I've been using them for years now for, I put my draft sets in there when I go drafting. I also put commander decks in there and they have a place to store dice. They're super convenient, really compact and a great way to just bring a single deck to places as well yeah that's the highest praise we can really give to a company that does what ultra pro does is that we personally trust them Mm -hmm. with our stuff all right now it's time for the end step we talk about something cool outside the world of magic we have maybe the coolest end step of all All time time. for sure did it uh so this last uh yeah it was monday yeah it was monday so this last week when this episode was coming out uh the week before this the ninth uh, of march March, the ides of march is that the ides of march I should know this because I'm a theater major. Who knows? Uh, The Mulan world premiere happened here in Los Angeles, and I was able to get Josh and his girlfriend tickets to come attend and walk the red carpet, dress up, look awesome, meet the stars of the film, get a picture with the stars of the film, and watch the movie, of course, at the the Dolby Theater, which is where they hold the Oscars every year uh, here in Los Angeles. I like how you framed that. It was awesome that you let uh, my girlfriend and I tag tag along, but that's not the cool part about this. That's not even close to the cool part about this. It's like that, yes, the cool part about this is Jimmy is a big part in the movie. Jimmy, Ooh. you walked the red carpet. I like did. I walked behind the part where they're like, "Hey, yes, you're going into the theater here, but we're gonna have you walk behind this thing so nobody sees you." <laughs> Jimmy walked on the other side where all the press was. Yep. So like Variety and Entertainment e, Weekly. Yeah, and ABC. And everything, guys, yeah. Everybody's there. It's a major Hollywood motion picture. Hundreds of millions of dollar budget. Jimmy's walking the red carpet, doing interviews. Yeah, I we went all out. I got a stylist. I got a groomer. Rented a suit and all that stuff. And you look sharp. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. And I, I was, it was really overwhelming. I didn't think uh, it was going to be as much of a blur as it was. I like was when I, before I went, I was like, all right, this is what's going to happen. These are the kinds of things I'm going to do. I'm going to do this there. I'm going to do an Instagram story here. None of that happened because <laughs> I was, like, ah! yeah, literally. And then you have someone shuffling you around, be like, hey, these they want to talk to you. You're like, okay, go up. And then they ask, you know, anywhere from very benign questions to very serious ones. And you have to be ready to deliver. And I didn't realize this, but I was like, of course, they're going to post it only almost immediately after you say it. So I can understand why there are those like flubs on the red carpet because I don't even remember speaking the th- half the things I said half the time. Because it's one of those things where like, Jimmy, 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 and there's all these people trying to get your attention. You know Jimmy made it because he had handlers. Yeah. People were like, Jimmy, no, you got to move along now. You can't, yeah. like, because I was like, Jimmy, like I was on the other side and he came over and gave me a hug and they're like, sorry, Jimmy's got to go over here now. And then like, <laughs> they're like literally physically like yeah. pushing him to here, turn you there. <laughs> like, talk- and then- it, you feel like a farm animal, <laughs> to be honest, because there's a whole line of photographers in the beginning, and they're all from all different outlets, and they want to get a picture that they can use where you're looking into their camera. So what ends up happening is they all yell your name. They're like, Jimmy, and over like, here, over here, give me a smile. And you're like, what? What do you mean, give you a smile? I'm going to smile if I want to. And they're like, tilt your head down. I'm like, okay. And so you just kind of do what they say, and you're like, oh, gosh, I should have practiced more poses. And so there are a couple of pictures of me out there, like kind of like just arms like this, like, ah! Oh! <laughs> well, one thing very I'll, overwhelming, very fun. One thing I'll say also is the red carpet interviews, like like you said, they immediately post it. And it was like, you know, five minutes later that my entwi- entire Twitter feed and oh, Facebook yeah. is just Jimmy clips on the red carpet. Like, <laughs> listen, you got, you got uh, tweeted out by Variety. They got like 3 million Twitter followers or whatever yeah. by... Uh, Disney itself was tweeting out. Disney had it. Disney D23, which is yeah. their, like their fan uh, group and inside Disney. Yeah, there was so... And then a, I, all I, these news outlets were basically like posting your clips, your snippets, your red carpet interview stuff. Yeah, it, it felt really validating actually because in the movie itself, I am not... It's Mulan. I'm not Mulan. I'm not Mulan's father. I am a... I would call it a, a side character because we're in, yeah. the, in the army. We're in a lot of the movie, but we're not there to chew up screen time. We're there to support the main story and the actor. Um, and so when you get to see, you know, all these things being posted later, they're not going to post every single... The ones that they're definitely going to post are interviews with the main cast, with the big Chinese stars like Donnie Yen and Jet Li and like Ming-Na Wen, who was there as well, and Christina Aguilera. 
And then getting to see that they also decided to post my clips felt really validating because I was like, oh, cool. I gave a good enough answer. I talked eloquently enough that they thought that this was worth sharing online as well. Yeah, it was sweet. They thought a lot of your stuff was worth sharing because there was a lot yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, and there was a lot of obviously like very discussion-based things to talk about this time of year because, you know, people are getting sick and there's a whole number of things happening around the world. So I, I guess I was called upon to talk about them. And speaking of which, a lot going on in the world, obviously, yeah, that's a, that's a good segue, I think, into... Um, so we did the premiere, we went to the premiere, but unfortunately, they've just announced that Mulan uh, is going to be delayed. Yep, like a lot of other movies as well that are coming out in the next couple of months. The coronavirus and a lot of the quarantining that people have been advising a lot of the companies have decided that it's time to move the premiere date, which I am, by the way, 100% fine with. Very important to stay safe right now, and large gatherings such as movie theaters or events and stuff could pose a danger to the health of the people that want to watch this movie. So we're not actually sure when the release date is yet. But I still encourage everyone to look forward to it. I know when it does finally come, it's going to be really, really great. And we can all go see it in a safe environment as well. Yeah, and we didn't have a chance to get into it. And we probably won't go over it a lot here because we're going to talk about it again when it actually is coming out. But it's a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean... I mean, yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no joke. Like, I teared up a little at a couple different points. Uh, my girlfriend, Elle, she she was crying at, at the end. And, and you know that's a movie that connects with you when people are having that kind of emotional response. So look forward to it. It is coming out. We wish it was coming out in a couple of weeks like it's supposed to. But yeah, again, like you said, I think this is just bad timing for that kind of thing. It's it's better for everybody if it comes out in like six months or whatever yeah. it's going to be because, yeah, when it's a lot safer. And, and obviously, also, the movie will do better at that point. And, and we want the movie to do well because that means a lot for Jimmy and his career and things like that. So Indeed. Yeah. yeah, definitely looking forward to whenever they do announce it. And, you know, on Twitter, we'll talk about all that stuff as well. But until then, you get to know that the movie is good. Yeah. Uh, it's just an, this is an earlier sneak peek than we thought it would be now. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe they'll do like a second premiere that we could go to because it was so fun the first time. I'd love to go yeah. again. <laughs> why not? Redux. Why not? Let's roll it around. Let's do it again. All right. Uh, special thanks to our editing, graphics, and logistics team. So we've got... Craig Blanchett, Ashland Rose, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Alfred Estaca, and Sam Waldo. They are all the people working on our show. And also, they're the people that are doing the post-production now for the EDH RecCast yes, show. So good. Yeah, we mentioned that at the beginning of the episode. We'll mention it again here. Make sure to check out EDH RecCast. They're a podcast that talks about the Commander format, but they do it through the lens of statistics and data analytics that come from the EDH rec website, which is, I mean, straight up the most used website for brewing decks for commander. It's my go-to. Yeah. And they're, they've been one of my favorite podcasts about commander for a long time. So it's great to get to work with them. So go find them. Just type EDH rec cast into your search bar, hit that subscribe button. You should probably hit that subscribe button for us, too. We never say that, but, you know, subscribe oh, yeah. to the Command Zone as well. Yeah, subscribe to all of us. That's way you do not miss any of the content that we post or any of the awesome giveaways that we do as well. All right, everyone. And of all, of course, as always, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who makes the living card animations that start and end our show at YouTube.com slash the Command Zone podcast, as well as on Game Nights and live behind us here on set for the Command Zone podcast. All right. That's it, everybody. Please stay safe, be healthy, and we will see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>